0: Hello and welcome to Top in Tech, Global Council's weekly podcast on tech, policy and regulation globally. My name's Conan Darcy and I'm the host of this podcast. Last week, the European Parliament voted through its position on the EU's Artificial Intelligence Act, the AI Act. To assess what this means for regulation of the sector, I'm joined today by Alana Kunkel, an associate in GC's Brussels office, and she follows the ups and downs of EU AI regulation. So thank you for joining me today, Ilana. I think a good starting point here would be just to clarify what this vote means and where we are in the process. And I ask this because we've heard last month about the European Parliament having a committee vote. We know that the councils voted, the commission had a proposal. So there's a, lot of, there's a blizzard of information about the AI Act. So can you just update listeners and route them and the conversation in where exactly we are in the process as of today?
1: Sure thanks Conan. Um, so this vote last week has confirmed the European Parliament's position on one of the most if not the most important pieces of digital regulation that the EU has published in the last years, the AI Act and um, to explain a bit what that means to our listeners in the EU legislative procedure both the elected European Parliament and the council which represents the 27 different EU member states have to internally adopt their own positions before they can come together and enter negotiations to find a common ground. And in the case of the AI Act, uh, this vote in the parliament has been a long time coming as the council. So the member states have already agreed on a position back in December last year. But things were much more complicated in the European parliament, uh, which took considerably longer. MEPs have now, though, finally succeeded to obtain... Uh, first, a provisional agreement back in May, and the vote last week has now confirmed this provisional agreement in the parliament and therefore wrapped up the internal negotiations uh, within the separate institutions. The significance is therefore really rather uh, procedural because with the parliament having wrapped up its position, it means that the final phase of this whole procedure of passing the EI Act can start. And these are the negotiations between the legislators, so the European parliament on one side and then the council, And then there's also the European Commission, which has uh, originally brought forward the AI Act. And the goal of those negotiations now is to find an agreed text that reconciles all the different positions of the parties, which is done through the so-called trilogue negotiations. So this vote last week was really uh, a significant step towards closing this landmark digital law uh, as we're now entering this final phase of negotiations. So we can now really start to see a finish line in this whole process.
0: Right. So if, if you're on the line and you followed closely the coverage of the vote in the joint committees in the European Parliament several weeks ago, and you were following what the, what that meant and what the content of that piece of legislation was, I guess what we're saying is that the vote last week hasn't changed that content. The content is still the same. It's just that we're now going to move into, as you called it, the negotiating process, these so-called uh, trilogs. So before we jump into what are going to be those thorny issues between the European Parliament and the Council in those trilogue negotiations, Alana, I'd just like to get you to remind both me but also those on the line about what is the basic approach that the EU has taken here to regulating AI via the AI Act.
1: One good way of conceptualising the AI Act is that Overall, it aims to put different rules and different requirements on AI systems, depending on their risk. So the EU has determined that uh, not all AI is built equal and that they all pose different levels of threat and that some might need a bit of a stricter hand in regulation than others. So the AI Act has created this uh, tiered approach where there are different categories of risk ranging from limited risk to high risk and then also to unacceptably high risk. And the rules that will apply will depend largely on the category under which a certain AI would fall. Um, But I'm happy to illustrate this uh, with some examples. For the highest category of risk, so for AI systems that are deemed to be unacceptable to European values, there is a general ban. So those systems will be prohibited entirely from even entering the European market. Um, This is because we have to keep in mind that AI nowadays is already very powerful and has the potential to cause uh, harm. And the EU is essentially trying to prevent those systems uh, from even being placed on the market and being used in any way. And one example for such an AI system, which is completely banned, is a system that would, for example, be placed by the government or another authority to evaluate and score people's behavior or trustworthiness which could lead to an unfavorable treatment of people. Uh, It's what we call social scoring. So in theory, although it sounds a bit like a science fiction scenario, there could be an AI system out there developed that allows to keep track of your day-to-day activities and determine whether based on that you should be, for example, I don't know, paying higher contributions to the government or to the tax system. Uh, And this is clearly something that we don't want to see as this would go against lot of European rights and values. So for those systems, there is a complete ban. On the other side of the coin, there is a range of AI systems where the EU says, okay, so the risk here is quite limited and there should still be some rules, but they shouldn't be too stringent. And one example here are deep fakes. So those manipulated fake images that we see popping up uh, on the internet or videos that sometimes circulate around. And for those there will only be transparency obligations. So it would need to be disclosed, for example, to the user that they are interacting with such an artificially generated image or video. But then the largest part of the regulation is centered around the so-called high-risk category because this is really where the biggest chunk of obligations and rules will apply. So this is where the EU sees a potential risk for society and for European values on one hand, but on the other hand, there's also this potential to innovate and to have AI systems in place that are actually useful and productive uh, to our society, and one such an example is uh, for high risk AI is AI is used in employment. So nowadays, there's lots of companies employing AI systems in HR for filtering candidates or selecting candidates even, and the AI act now says that high risk systems such as this uh, employment system. Used to evaluate or select job candidates must undergo a rather stringent risk and quality management process throughout the whole uh, lifecycle of the AI system. So we can imagine it's not really just a one-off procedure, but it's really going to be a continued um, effort to keep high-risk AI systems safe for users. Next to that, uh, quality and risk management systems, there's also a range of requirements on transparency. So providers will have to inform their users appropriately also of any risk that could be present. Um, and then there's also safety and type of security requirements. So the systems will have to be developed already in mind with those risks and developed safely and securely. Uh, another big element is also that is, will also be to manage those very underlying algorithms that form the basis of the AI system. So to make sure that the data sets feeding into this AI system are not complete, completely biased, for example. So if you come to an empli- employment AI that the data that feeds into it is, for example, not discriminating against women. And then there's also the requirement that the high-risk AI systems are, in fact, overseen by a human being. So coming back again to the example of the employment AI, that there's actually someone uh, present in this whole selection procedure, a human being, that oversees the decision so that, in the end of the day, those important decisions are not only um, up to an AI. Again, I think I could go into a lot more detail here about the range of different requirements that have found their way into the AI Act, but I think what is essentially really important to take away and uh, remember for listeners are those different tiers and the different obligations that would apply depending on the risk and that it is really the high-risk category where the largest amount of requirements in the AI Act will focus
0: on. Thanks, Alana. That's really comprehensive overview of, of, of how... All three EU institutions are approaching this, even if there are nuances between how each wants to prioritise certain elements within the text. And I think to those who listened to the podcast episode last week with Mike Aldridge, this falls into the the earlier of the two categories in the way in which people are thinking about AI regulation. So as a reminder, you have those who are focused on these the short-term, immediate issues that we've known about for a long time, things like transparency, explainability, Human intervention that you've just talked about, Alana. There's another camp that 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 would like to see a lower level of regulation in the next two to three to five years, and wants to focus more on what the long-term regulatory structure looks for in areas such as super intelligent AI, something that Sam Altman and OpenAI have pushed for. So this is very much not looking at that. It's very much looking at these immediate, short-term issues, and that reflects other instruments around the world that aren't necessarily as legally binding, say, the UK's AI white paper or the NIST framework in the US. So we've done the context, Alana. Let's get into the crunchy politics and controversy. Firstly, can you just talk us through where do things stand now on this controversial issue of facial recognition?
1: Facial recognition was actually one of those issues that really split to parliament and that significantly stalled the negotiations there. There were quite some divergences on how to approach this. And uh, I personally think that this will really return to the negotiation table now when the council and the parliament will try and find a common position. So to go back to this tiered model that I described, um, facial recognition software is technically, so at least in the original proposal, it's completely banned as it falls under this uh, unacceptable risk category. The reason for that is quite obvious. Is such technology could be misused for mass surveillance, and there are several other uh, privacy concerns that go with that. But one party within the European Parliament, so that's the centre-right European People's Party, the EPP, has been seeking repeatedly, actually in the process, to to water down this complete ban, so to actually allow for the use of facial recognition AIs in, in certain circumstances. This is because the EPP is traditionally quite law enforcement friendly. And for law enforcement purposes and for policing, facial recognition AI could, uh, at least accordingly to the EPP, be rather useful. The rest of the parliament does not agree with that stance, though, and is more concerned about the implications this could have for mass surveillance and privacy, and it has also set a very clear stance against that in last week's vote by rejecting the proposed amendments from the EPP. I don't think that's quite the end of the saga, though, on facial recognition, as this is likely to return to the negotiation table, as I said, during the upcoming inter-institutional discussions, as the council, so the member states, are also quite keen, at least some of them, on allowing some form of facial recognition, uh, recognition for law enforcement. With the parliament, however, having set now a rather firm stance against it, I think the outcome might be some sort of compromise. So that's one we'll be looking out for during the upcoming negotiations.
0: Yes, this is definitely one of those issues that's going to play out throughout the process. And I suspect it may not be resolved until right at the end of these negotiations. And it will really require political sign-off at ministerial level uh, in EU member states and at the highest levels of the European Commission and uh, within the European Parliament. Another issue to watch is the talk of the town at the moment which is chat gpt and generative ai obviously that wasn't in the commission's original proposal which came from several years ago but we've heard about how it has started to become included both in the debates and also the amendments related to the ai act so can you just give us a quick state of play here alana on where we are with generative ai and the likelihood of seeing it regulated within the ai act
1: I think the first thing to note here is that generative AI, in the end, is an AI system, so it will be subject to the AI Act scope. The question is not really whether it will be regulated under the AI Act, but the question is how. And the biggest question mark here at the moment is that the Council, so the member states' side, we don't really, we didn't see a position on that yet, as their negotiation position was already concluded in beginning of. December 2022, the reason here being that ChatGPT, for example, and the whole craze about Genitive AI that followed only came out around the same time that the council was wrapping up its position. So the council back then basically deferred the question uh, saying, okay, this is happening, but let's have the commission deal with it later. We're not dealing with it now. In the meantime, of course, uh, things have changed considerably again. So I would bet money that member states will certainly want to see generative AI included, but we will simply have to wait and see for the negotiations on what the how part is going to look like. The European Parliament on the other side had a lot more time to think about generative AI, and they did provide some guidance in their position on how they would like to see it regulated. So they proposed a rather complicated three-tiered model here, which would make generative AI fall outside of the categories that I have previously talked about and create a whole new category for this uh, type of AI. On this approach, generative AI would have to be labeled, meaning that there would need to be a disclaimer when you face content that, for example, has been produced by ChatGPT. That this content was generated by an AI. The aim here is to prevent uh, massive disinformation concerns that generative AI brings to the table, as those models are so exceptionally good in mirroring human language and convincingly produce content that, for the untrained eye, is not distinguishable indistinguishable from what a human would produce. The other measure that has found its way into the parliament's position would relate to copyright, as the parliament would oblige companies using generative AI to disclose any copyrighted material that they have used to train their systems, so any material stemming from sources that are protected by other authors, for example. So in summary, yes, the AI Act is going to have an impact on generative AI, but It will definitely be an open question on the negotiation table coming up um, in the Trilog negotiations to find a common position on that. But I think it's fair to say that the whole world is watching what will happen in this space as the EU is really one of the first legislators worldwide addressing the topic of generative AI.
0: Yes. And we saw Sam Altman make certain comments that were interpreted as saying that he may exit. And OpenAI may exit the European Union uh, if certain rules come into place. He quickly quickly backtracked after Thierry Breton and others uh, criticized him publicly. Um, But clearly it's going to be a major, major issue and other jurisdictions will be watching the European Union's approach. I was struck there, Ilana, when you referenced how the measures that are being considered within the European Parliament are designed to tackle mass disinformation. And obviously, next year, we have the European elections. We'll no doubt have many member state elections. We've got the US elections. We've got the UK elections likely next year as well. So there's a lot of elections coming up. But there's also potential for massive disinformation via generative AI. And yet, even if the all these institutions agree a deal by the end of the year, perhaps uh, pass it at some point next year, the implementation period, I believe, is at least going to be two years. So we're talking about this coming in till probably mid 2026 at the earliest. So that's going to miss those elections. So, where, not specifically on the elections, but more broadly, what, what's going on with this int- implementation period? How will AI more broadly and generative AI be governed in the interim within the European Union?
1: Yeah, Conan. So I think it's it's definitely a fair point uh, to say that those uh, two years of implementation period, are potentially a little bit less or a little bit longer, depending on how the negotiations land, is really a long time to wait for those rules to apply when we see AI developing at such a neck breaking speed, a speed which has taken uh, most people by surprise. And there's definitely these concerns that you have mentioned, uh, but more and more leaders and countries are are starting to think about this. So we have seen discussions emerge in the EU, but also beyond that, that there may be the need to take action sooner rather than later. So even within the European Commission, uh, there seems to be a lot of initiative, but also some disagreements on how to best uh, govern AI in the interim, as you said, ahead of the act. So on one hand, there is the commissioner for the internal market, Thierry Breton, who has announced the so-called is the so-called AI pact, which would basically preempt and test some of those provisions that are in the AI Act ahead of it coming into force. But then on the other hand, we also have Margrethe Vestager, the US Commissioner for the Digital Age, who has pitched an AI code of conduct, which would envision a certain form of cooperation with the US to develop a non-binding framework, uh, specifically also on generative AI, to address those concerns that you've mentioned, Conan. So Vestager's approach would focus considerably more on international cooperation, while we see Breton's approach uh, being more of a sort of test and trial period for the AI Act. But it is not to exclude that next to the Commission's actions, um, that just because the EU's rulebook in form of the AI Act is not entering into force for the next few years, that the EU member states are going to patiently wait around. There's, for example, this trend that we have seen quite a lot in recent times, especially by France, to implement rules before the EU law requires them to do so, and we have heard rumors that the same might be the case with the AI Act, and that France might actually publish its own measures ahead of the AI Act entering into force, but nothing has uh, been officially announced yet, Um, and then I think Germany is also a quite good candidate for potentially doing its own thing, so... In conclusion, the next year's until the AI Act will enter into force, we'll definitely see different approaches of governance arising on national levels. In terms of international initiatives, we have to keep in mind that, as you also mentioned, while international cooperation is clearly important in tackling um, those challenges, world world leaders have quite different ideas on how AI should be regulated, with the US, for example, preparing a very light touch approach compared to the EU's. Rather heavy hand in setting those rules. And the UK probably is sitting somewhere in between, just to mention a few examples. Um, but I think not all hope is lost that we might see some effective international initiative happening, as the recent gathering of EU and US leaders during the Trade and Technology Council, for example, promised to work further on a joint roadmap on AI. And G7 leaders have also recently called for the development of common standards on AI. So in the international sphere, I think interim government is very much going to take the form of voluntary cooperation, joint standards and testing. So that's, I think, what we're going to see in the meantime.
0: Okay, well, let's just go on to the final question I have for you, Alana, and get you to gaze a little bit into your crystal ball. We talked a lot about the AI Act today, as if with a certain sense of inevitability when we were discussing it. Is that correct? And is it your view that the AI Act will get passed ahead of the European elections in June next year? Do you think it will get done? Or do you think we're going to slip into the next European Commission and the delays well into 2025, perhaps even to 2026?
1: So I think we're really starting to to notice this sort of dooming deadline of the European Parliament elections in, in fall next year. Um, and that's definitely adding significant pressure to close any remain, remaining projects on time. And it's true that there is a quite tight margin left for getting it all across the line. But personally, I don't think we have anything to worry about regarding the AI Act here, because we have to keep in mind that this is really on top of everyone's priority list right now. So the commission up to the level of its president, Ursula von der Leyen, has really reiterated several times the importance of bringing this across. And then we also have Spain, who's going to take over the council presidency. So the member states have a rotating presidency every six months. And Spain is about to take over in less than two weeks, actually. And they have significant power over steering what's going to be on the agenda for the member states. And Spain has made very clear that AI is their number one digital priority. And it's quite interesting to look at what Spain is doing here um, as they are really currently attempting to position themselves in exactly that position as leaders in AI and closing the AI Act under under their presidency in those six months uh, of the council presidency would be a massive win for them. So there's really no doubt that the AI Act will be all over their agendas too. I think it's worth mentioning as well that the political and public interest is so immense here that we have seen that AI has increasingly become this hot topic, sometimes really the only topic people are talking about in Brussels, uh, and has effectively pushed a lot of other digital files a bit into the abyss, or at least very much into the background. Uh, I think that's especially the case since ChatGPT came around and very advanced and novel AI systems are really accessible to the broad public now. And there's just been this immense... Uh, public attention, and the big question, which we have just touched upon, how to regulate this all and mitigate the risks while not hampering innovation. So the act is definitely not one of those instruments which will be quietly passed or quietly die in the hand of the legislators. But the world is really watching every move of the EU on this. So that also means, in turn, that there is significant amount of external pressure on the EU to position themselves as a world leader in this field, and to keep up to their promises. So to summarize this in my assessment and to answer your question, Conan, well, it's definitely hard to tell what's going to happen in the final phases of negotiations between the three institutions. And it wouldn't be the first time that things don't go exactly as expected and that important files would face huge delays. But I believe in this case, it's quite unlikely to happen. So yes, I think we will see the EI Act finalized certainly ahead of the European elections and maybe even still this year.
0: Thanks, Alana. I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. I think as you, you set out the case, very compellingly, all three institutions are committed at the highest levels to getting this done. And it would be a major loss of face if they don't. And I think that will compel them to reach an agreement. For companies affected by this, that's not necessarily good news. Obviously, a rush to regulate, a rush to legislate can end up in uneasy compromises between the different institutions that may have uh, unexpected and unintended consequences for how it is applied in practice so we'll obviously be keeping an eye on this you in particular Alana and we'll make sure to update listeners as things progress and we'll certainly do another podcast on this as and when uh, developments are in the public and uh, to be discussed again so thank you very much uh, for talking us through it today Thank you to everyone uh, for joining us. If you are interested in AI policy, whether that's EU AI policy, which Alana's talked us through today, uh, UK, US or globally, it's something we're following very, very closely. So please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. You can find the contact details for Alana and for other GC colleagues in the usual place, both in the podcast notes, but also at www.global-council.com. Thanks for joining us and uh, hope you join us next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.